Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, Lenten Preaching Edition, the ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church, recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. It's good to be here. It's, it's good that we are all here. I want to just mention that the first time that I met Mimsy and Frank Jones was when I accompanied Marcus, my husband, to Calvary when he was a Lenten series preacher. And I, as Mimsy said, I think that Marcus was here over a period of 20 years and here many, many times. And Mark loved coming here. The ongoing witness of Calvary its hospitality and graciousness, and the presence of Frank and Mimsy Jones. Some say that hospitality is an encounter with the divine, and I agree. And Marcus's experience was just like that every time he came here. And Mark and Frank had a particularly special connection. Um, Frank named his car after Marcus. and also named his horse after Marcus. (laughs) So this time, Mimsy is hosting me. The divine hospitality is the same. And a lot has changed. I'm also honored to be named the Marcus Ford Lenten preacher. He and I walked shoulder to shoulder for many years. And being with Marcus is the honor and privilege of my life. And now, at the risk of a maybe slightly awkward image, I stand on his shoulders. And I see a different horizon now, a new horizon. The theme of this year's 100th anniversary Clinton preaching series, as you all know, is the future of faith. And wouldn't it be something if 100 years from now, Calvary was still offering a Lenten preaching series. A lot will have changed. And I suggest that if Christianity is to have something to say a hundred years from now, it will have changed too. Because I think that the way that we think about Christianity and talk about Christianity, it has to change. And that change is taking place right now. I chose the text for today, and it's selected verses from the Gospel of John, and it's the story of Lazarus. Lazarus means God is my help, or God has helped. Now, John's audience is not ours, but the predicament and challenge that is in this story still speaks to us today. And it spoke to me. And in a moment, I'll tell you how. But first, I want to say a little bit about the context, sort of what I've been living with, that has affected my reading of the Gospel of John today. Um, Mimsy mentioned that for the last three, actually almost four years, I've been hosting something called Second Saturday Conversation. And uh, it's a Zoom presentation. And as she mentioned, we we explore Christianity in the 21st century, which is kind of problematic, and Christianity for the 21st century, 
And we really don't fully know what that's going to be yet. And there are people from all over the country and actually across the pond and all over the world that tune into this. We have hundreds of people be part of this conversation. And so out, over the last three plus years, I've been listening to people from all over talk about their experiences of Christianity. Some of us call ourselves Christian. Some that tune in are not Christian. Some aren't actually sure what they are anymore. But I would suggest that all of the people that come into Second Saturday are kind of haunted by Christianity. I mean, Christianity is still in the air we breathe. It's in our politics. It's in our social world. It's certainly part of our religious and faith life. But their experience of Christianity as they have matured and gotten older, the way that we talk about Christianity and their own experience of the world, it just isn't coming together anymore. So we talk about this on Second Saturday. And so that's part of the context. That's, those are some of the conversations that have been in my, my head that, that bring me to speak to you today. And then I also want to share very briefly a conversation that I recently had with a friend of mine who's 50, so she's 22 years younger than I am. And she belongs to a book group. They've been meeting for 30 years. It started out as a Bible study group, and now it's a book group. They were all part of the same denomination, which is a fairly conservative denomination. I mean, they were Bible-believing, a, a, a Bible-based faith community. They tried to read the Bible as literally as they could. They embraced a lot of the um, presuppositions about what Christianity means for us today. This group still meets. They, they live in all different places now. They still gather. But now, of the 12 folks that started this, and there are still 12 who are participating, only one of them is still a Christian and calls herself a Christian. And I, I asked my friend, I said, why do you think that is? And her response was, life got difficult. Life got difficult. Life got hard. And a lot of things that happened to members of this group seemed to happen for no rhyme or reason. And the prayers of the righteous did not availeth as much as they had hoped. Life was more unpredictable than they anticipated and complicated. And circumstances in their lives that caused pain and loss that prayer did not somehow address or answer, they became confused. They began to wonder about the strength of their convictions, and they began to wonder about their God, and they began to grieve the loss of their faith. Life is difficult. And for them, and for so many on Second Saturday, the classical and traditional beliefs of Christianity that emphasize that God is sovereign and God will provide the ultimate victory and that death has been overcome and that what really matters about Jesus is that he died 
for our sins, as though that's what his life and death was all about. And the emphasis on an afterlife, as though this life is only incidental to the real life that is to come, and that better life will happen somewhere else. All of those classical and traditional beliefs have failed to persuade anymore. And they've widened a chasm between Christianity and the world and their lived experience. And for a lot of them, the cognitive dissonance between their beliefs and their experiences in life became unnavigable. I mean, life is difficult. And Christianity, for so many, has become increasingly unbelievable. I mean, that, that may be true for some of you here today. The experience of this group and of Second Saturday, I think, is just, it's all too familiar. So what about the future of faith? Well, first, I'll be bold and direct. I think we need to re-examine our reliance on creeds and doctrine and dogma as a litmus test for our faith. I know that some will say, but those are the weight-bearing walls of Christianity. Those are the things that define what Christianity is. But my experience tells me that Christian doctrine and dogma and those creeds are the very things that are weakening Christianity today. I mean, Christianity is not about doctrine. It's not about dogma. It's, it's not about right belief. It's about a poetic vision of possibility that Jesus called the kingdom of God. There is another way to go about life than the way that empire constructs it. Things can be different. I suggest Christianity is about possibilities. Possibilities. It's not a strategy. It's not transactional. If anything, it's unconditional. But unfortunately, the tradition's effort to define Christianity and faith and God and Jesus has turned those things into things. <laughs> and we are to believe those things. So in thinking about the future of faith, I think we need to re-examine the place of doctrine and dogma. I also think that Christianity needs to be more honest about life. Life is a risk. Christianity has tended to deal with this by saying, well, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. But for many, Sunday doesn't come, or certainly doesn't come the way that they expect. Life is a risk. That is a given. And I think we need to be more honest about that. Christianity tends to emphasize the human condition, which, by the way, I don't think is about original sin. But Christianity doesn't always have as much to say about the conditions of life. And then we must ask, is this life 
worthy of the risk? As my mother used to say, is the game worth the candle? Christianity needs to affirm that with all of the uncertainties of life, even as it is a risk, it is even more a gift. And we are made to live in that tension of risk and gift. We're born to be capable of handling that. We are born with the courage to be. And I also think Christianity needs to affirm our mortality. Christianity tends to talk about us as if we are actually divine, like the gods of the ancient world, and that we will live forever. No, we are mortal, which does not weaken life. Rather, it underscores its preciousness and singularity and the importance of what we do, because what we do matters. Christianity, in some ways, doesn't make enough of this earthly life. It has a tendency to defer to the next one. And I will say that that is a colossal mistake. And if there is to be a future of faith, we must reimagine what we mean by God. I think we need to reimagine what we're talking about, re-examine the word, re-express our intuitions and hunches and experiences of what we call God. So now that you know a little bit about where I'm coming from now, let me turn to the gospel story. Lazarus has died. Lazarus, God is my help. has died. At least that's the fear of all of those who are gathered. For many today, we might think the same. God is dead. And all of us here remember the cover of Time magazine in 1966 that said as much. I don't for a minute think that God is dead. But I do agree with Time magazine's assessment that the God of supernatural theism, kind of a fancy word to talk about, a God, a being, up there, somewhere, out there, that that God is dead, and actually never was. But that's not God. The sister of Lazarus said, Jesus, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. If only you had been here. Jesus, where were you? Where was my Lord and my God, my help? If only, if only this wouldn't have happened, it couldn't have happened. I know that lament. I bet you do too. If only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But Jesus insists that Lazarus, God is my help, is not dead in spite of all appearances to the contrary. And Jesus calls Lazarus to come out. God is my help, come out. 
And Lazarus, wrapped in burial cloths, comes out. And then Jesus says to the community who's gathered around him, Jesus says to the community, unbind him. I imagine that the cloths that bind Lazarus the burial clause that wraps so tightly around God is my help are the doctrines and dogmas and creeds of, that we continue to emphasize today. Our insistence on believing the explanations of our doctrines and creeds have taken the life right out of our faith for all too many, even though they are considered the substance of our faith. So, back to the story, the community was afraid to unbind Lazarus. They feared that all they might, that all that might be left is a rotting corpse. And we might be afraid to loosen, if not remove our doctrines and dogmas, because we're afraid what would be left. And I say, plenty. Now, there is a place for creeds and doctrines. They are part of the development of our tradition. And our efforts to name what really cannot be named, or to try to contain what really can't be contained. So I don't want to completely ignore them. I mean, they are a part of the history of Christianity. But we must not mistake them for the living reality and experience that we call God. So, what then of the name of God? That name, God, is today so problematic for so many. Now, I'm not done with the name yet, and whatever is happening in that word isn't done with me yet. It has a claim on me. But I think the word God, it's not a thing, it's not a being, but rather it signifies something that is happening. God is something that happens. God is a word symbol, if you will, for something that happens and is happening and is to come. And we don't know what it is. But when it comes, we respond. We respond bodily. We can feel it. We sense that actually we know it. And we say, oh my God, Let me try to express this idea that God is something that happens, not a thing or a being. And I borrow this thought from John D. Caputo. In a book about truth, Jack talks about grace, and he says, we don't, we don't need God for grace, but we do need grace for God. Now, I, I stumbled over that. I mean, that kind of flies in the face of our assumptions, doesn't it? We, we don't need God for grace, but we need grace for God. I mean, that statement stopped me in my tracks. What helped me think about this was the image of the Pez dispenser. Now, that's not Jack's image, by the way, and I'm not actually sure what he'd think of it. But I... 
I started to think about the Pez dispenser as a way to think about maybe what he's getting at. And you remember those, that you, you would press a little lever, and uh, when you press this little lever of this dispenser, the, uh, a little sugar pellet would come out, a little candy, remember that? And um, it would come out of sort of the dispenser's mouth. Well, you know, we might have a tendency to think about God that way. Press the little lever, it's Jesus, and out of the mouth of God comes a reward. I don't mean to be glib, but let me say emphatically, God is not a Pez dispenser, full stop. But that image helped me to think through what I think Jack is getting at. We do not need God for grace. God is not a dispenser. Even though that sounds awfully close to what we're taught. But rather, Jack goes on, we need grace for God. The experience of grace evokes in us the only word that over history has seemed adequate and worthy to name such an experience, a word that is close to our trembling hearts. The name God. It is the experience of grace. Or when something breaks through or flows through unexpectedly that we did not cause or create, that shimmers and changes our angle of vision and gives us a sense of the more, or is experienced in that moment as of ultimate concern and value, that comes in the midst of the conditions of life, even when conditions are dark and difficult. And when that grace or that experience touches us, we say, oh my God. And grace abounds. Unfortunately, not everyone sees it. So, grace, the conditions of life, often random, without a why, breaking with logic, make us shiver and cause us to face our limits and recognize our mortality and underscore how precious and singular life is. Something arises that ear has not heard nor eye seen, that we didn't see coming, that changes our frame and jolts us awake to realize that we are part of something that is greater than we are. Marvelous, uncontrollable, wondrous, terrifying, remarkable, all those things. We need to accept all of them as fully as we can and live our lives as fully as we can. That is the courage to be. Whether it's a sunset or a bomb going off, whether it's a synchronistic meeting seemingly by chance or watching a skater do a triple lutz, whether it's the birth of a child or the news of a terminal diagnosis. When our sighs and exclamations are too deep for words, the only name that seems worthy of that experience is 
Oh my God. It is what we live in and move in and have our being in. Oh my God. Now this is a different way of thinking about God than as a pest dispenser. <clears throat> God is with us in it all, in all the conditions of life. And God's preference is for possibility, for life, for more, for what is to come. Whatever befall us, and at our end, there is more to come, a future, even if it is not ours. So, in addition to suggesting that our task is to consider the future, in considering the future of faith, is to unbind Christianity from its doctrines and dogmas, and insist that we accept our mortality and that life is a risk, and in addition to insisting that we must reimagine and re-express what we mean by God, I also think we need to claim or reclaim our deep capacity as human beings for wonder. Our capacity for wonder amidst the conditions and vicissitudes of life. Wonder is part of our greatness. Grace and our capacity for wonder, which makes us feel alive, that may save us. Not so much the recitation of our creeds. I love what Abraham Heschel, the great Jewish theologian of the last century, said. Never once in my life, he writes, did I ask God for success or wisdom or power or fame. I asked for wonder, and God gave it to me. Abraham Heschel knew God. So Jesus' vision, Jesus' call, is that the future can be better. He lived amidst violence and a brutal domination system and a hierarchical organization and a social world that degraded so much of humanity, and he said, it doesn't have to be this way. He had a dream that one day things will be better for everyone. Things can be better for everyone. And his vision, the kingdom of God, that was his life, and that is our call to be the dream, the vision, that the future can be better for everyone and for our planet. Because we will do everything we can to make it so. We are responsible for the future as human beings, as Christians. We are part of the history of God and the future of God. The future of faith. <clears throat> the Memphian wrote a lovely article about this hundredth year of Calvary's Lenten preaching series. And they reported that the theme of this year was a future of faith. Well, I think they got that right, even though they got it wrong. 
I think the future of faith is a future of faith. Faith meaning trust, not belief. Trust, a deep existential trust in the worthiness and goodness of life, come what may. The gift of life, I mean, it's remarkable that we are here at all. The gift of life deserves our deep existential trust and commitment. Life is of unconditional worth and value. We don't have the luxury to think otherwise. The future of faith is a future of faith. That the future to come will be better, even a future that will not be ours. A hundred years from now, I hope they will say, God is my help. How filled with awe is this place. Dialogue is a podcast of Calvary's Lenten preaching series, a 100-year-old tradition that invites wise and inspiring speakers into our pulpit during the season of Lent. Dialogue is produced by Noah Glenn of Perpetual Motion. Our theme music was composed by Spence Bailey. Special thanks to Robin Banks, Director of Communications at Calvary, and Heidi Rupke, Lenten Preaching Series Coordinator. And thanks to you for listening. If you're curious about the home of dialogue in the Lenten Preaching Series, Calvary Episcopal Church is an eclectic bunch of Christian people. We don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into a beloved community marked by unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to Dialogue at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.